in this world cares for you and who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitably was the reply, I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I respect myself. I will keep the law given by God and sanctioned by men. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for moments like this, when the body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. Stringent are they, involatile are they. If at my individual convenience I may break them, what would their worth be? They have worth. So I have always believed, and if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane. With my veins running fire, my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs, preconceived opinions, foregone determination are all I have to stand by at this hour. There I plant my foot. Hi, Lillian. Hi, Piper. I'm almost crying already. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I've got butterflies in my tummy and my fingers are kind of tingly. Um, this is a really important episode and I want to be very reflectful and grateful and calm through this whole time. So I'm sure there will still be laughs, but this is a serious one. So yeah, we're I, here and we're happy that you guys are here too, listeners. Hello, everyone. We're so happy. This is an episode that I've had in my notes as good. I'm truly crying. <laughs> <laughs> this could happen this is a lot. an episode that I've had in my notes for um, almost a year as Goodbye Jane. And every time I look at that title, I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, because I think it, I, and that's not to say this is the wrong time or we shouldn't be doing this. I think it is the right time, and I think we should be doing this. We have created something I'm incredibly proud of, and I'm so grateful for. But at the same time, when there's something that is as special to us as this is, there was something about you saying, hi, Lillian, which you've said to me in this very formal way, roughly once a week for two years, and knowing that we weren't (laughs) going to be doing that anymore made me want to (laughs) cry. Yeah. Well, Lillian, if you want, I can still like once a week after this, just to ease you off, just give you a phone call and just be like, Hey Lillian, how's it going today? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and our friendship is over too. I forgot to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're not going to see each other ever again. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, now our friends will just have to deal with us whenever we have a group hangout and we'll just subconsciously turn it into a off air podcast episode. So or I'll pull out my phone and record it and we'll start releasing just our friend chats. Cute. <laughs> Everyone here I'm sure would love to listen to that. <laughs> I feel like a couple people would, but it's not a that was a joke, just so everybody knows. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I started making my notes for this episode by just kind of like thinking about like reflecting. Um, cause a lot of what we're going to talk about is just this experience in total, but a lot of what we're going to talk about is kind of looking back at where we started with this and where we are now. And I am much more eloquent when I can write down my thoughts mm. instead of just trying to like 
formulate them in the moment. So I wrote a little something and I'm going to read it uh, if that's okay. It so is okay. I, will sound... I give you permission. <laughs> we'll sound a bit more formal with this reading. Uh, it's what I call Piper's NPR voice is what she's about to break out. Oh man. And my heart is beating really fast right now. Actually, oh, this means a lot. <laughs> okay. So, um, my Jane Eyre journey began with fascination. Going blind into the story felt like I had discovered something like a well-kept secret that a story from so long ago could still feel so gripping, exciting, passionate, and meaningful. It was a classic. I knew that, but then I thought of it as just you know, another one of those old novels that likely had significant meaning, but something that you'd probably have to dig to find. And yet, to my delight, when I started with both the show and the novel itself, Jane Eyre is something that captures your attention right from the start, as it did mine and I'm sure many other people. It holds on to you with its beautifully written narrative, its compelling characters, and invigorating and confounding moral questions that force us to critique society, custom, ethics, and then our place within those spheres. During these two years of analysis, this work and the media that it's inspired, um, through this, I've rekindled my love for reading. I found a weekly outlet for film and story analysis, and I discovered a wonderful community of like-minded people who share my excitement, curiosity, and sense of wonder and romance. I can confidently say that I've never explored an interest to this extent, and I am delighted and honored to have done it with Lillian by my side and with all of you who have joined us along the way. So that's my initial reflection. Cool. And- <laughs> I, right before this, I would, I had to go do a quick bathroom break so there'd be no interruptions, but I came back with a full roll of toilet paper. So I'm like, I'm ready to cry now. (laughs) Yeah. I started crying as soon as you started talking, which technically I was already crying. Maybe I'm just going to cry the whole episode. Maybe that's what this episode is. (laughs) Lillian's cathartic cry hour. Oh, that was so so good. good. Oh, well, thank you. I, I was saying so good about um, uh, your emotion and oh, your vulnerability, which we, we stay on on this podcast. <laughs> thank you. I think <laughs> that was such a good summary of, I think, what we want to touch on today, because um, we've talked about what this episode is, and we we did another big reflective episode on our Why Air episode last year at this time. So this is our two-year anniversary of the podcast um, and kind of where we're, we're setting it to the side. And that was much more about an analysis of Jane Eyre and like trying mm-hmm. to understand what about this story hooks people and keeps them and why did we want to talk about it for what ended up being two years and um, what sort of captured us there where this is a lot more about something that I think you pointed out in your first reflections that we've seen in this community and why does why does Jane Eyre have meaning to us and to our Mm -hmm. listeners and why did like creating this podcast that we frankly started mostly as an inside joke (laughs) yes (laughs) like become something that is important enough that we're both crying <laughs> when it's over. No, absolutely. I think in the the nature of like reflecting on kind of how this began, I love so much Lillian. Uh, this is the thing I've always loved about you, but um, <laughs> in this contest especially, 
I kind of latched on to something and I got like rather obsessed with it. And I had, I had this idea and I wanted to run with it. And you are the kind of like supportive friend who wants to like support that and join in and help like, you know, fan those flames. <laughs> and which looking back again, I know we've said this a lot in previous things, but like, I think I described this to you and we had a lot of fun just like kind of laughing mm -hmm. about how silly that was. Uh, but then you were like, yeah, I'll do this thing for content that I think I'll probably hate and disagree with, but <laughs> I'll be with Piper and we'll be happy. We'll make fun of it and all this good stuff. And I love seeing how like it kind of like jokingly began and now to have this like really personal cathartic attachment yeah. to this experience and this story is a wonderful place to end. Yeah, I think because when I, you talked a lot about sort of your first experience going in blind and something that we've talked about a lot on the show, you can go back and listen to the, to my first experience of Jane Eyre. Cause it was Piper on a different podcast telling <laughs> me about it. Um, I think it's so interesting to go from something that I've always really enjoyed is when other people get excited about something like hearing them talk about it and like listening to somebody be really excited about something is interesting. And I know for me, like the first, so you'd watch that first one, we talked about it. And then you kept calling me and saying, I watched this other one. It's also crazy. Like, here's this other thing. And, and I remember saying to you, like on the phone being like, I feel like this is a podcast, like you, you watching all these different adaptations. And like, I would totally do that with you. And you went, <laughs> okay, that's not a joke. Like, I do mean that, like I would do that. And I think that's where that's the two of us coming together to make this. But the third uh, rail of this podcast has always been our listeners and has always mm -hmm. been the fact that people showed up and started listening to this. And I remember those first few weeks, like not expecting anyone to listen. And um, obviously, this isn't like the biggest podcast on earth. Um, <laughs> it would be wild if it became that. Um, but <laughs> I remember saying when we, our first few months, we had like 20 listeners a week. And I remember saying it would be crazy if that many people were showing up to a weekly library session we had about Jane Eyre, which could yeah. be a thing. And mm -hmm. when, when it comes to the internet, we just get so distorted on what a group of people is. And we mm -hmm. have like a hundred people plus show up every week to listen to us. And if that weren't the case, we wouldn't have done this for as long as we did um, yeah. because you guys send us emails. And especially since we announced the fact that we were ending this, mm -hmm. you guys have sent us uh, so many lovely messages and comments and other things about what this show has meant to you. And I just want you to know that like, at, sometimes you feel like the people you feel like they're your friends and then you start reprimanding yourself for the parasocial relationship. And sure, we're not. <laughs> at, they, I don't actually know any of you, but you mean as much to me as we seem to mean to you. And you guys mean so very much to us. You really do. It's um, amazing to like every week I, I do the editing. Um, and when I log in to upload, I always first look at, you know, how are the previous episodes doing? So to see listenership in the, like, like, you know, more than a hundred listens per something and like, see which ones are the most popular to see which ones you guys are drawn to is really exciting. I know that Lillian's gotten to have a very fun experience as she builds out the YouTube channel to see the reach that the podcast is now getting. 
um, on that platform. And I always get excited even just with like views uh, on that to Mm -hmm. be like this many people are watching this and consuming this. That's really, really cool. And I think that's like the heart of the Jane Eyre fandom is this incredibly passionate, dedicated group of people, Mm -hmm. um, which we Lillian and I have joked many times that I think we accidentally stumbled into um, a con a, a story that has a very engaged group who care mm-hmm. about it. Um, we could have done like button collecting and probably also connected <laughs> with millions of people who were like, "Oh, you don't know the first thing about button collecting." But this was like a story that, at least from our generation and our narrow perspective, we thought, "Oh, maybe a few random teachers or moms will listen to this." But it's been this whole amazing group of people all around the world, and that's been really special. Yeah, and I think it's so funny because the the analogy of button collecting is so specific <laughs> and fun for me. But like, it's the we we found something bizarre. Like there's so many corners of the internet that are like wonderfully bizarre where we went, this story is objectively insane. Like objectively (laughs) Jane Eyre is a crazy story. And yet it has been, it has had a chokehold on generations of people who keep focusing on this story and the mm-hmm. initial idea of the podcast watching all these different adaptations was sort of a what what's ha- what's happening so yes we <laughs> stumbled into a bunch of people who had also tapped into that but i think mm-hmm. that there's a there's something about jane eyre that is special and that creates this community Mm-hmm. Because it's people having the same experience we had, which is like, what is going on in this very mm-hmm. specific corner of culture? Mm-hmm. And with the internet, that means all those people can find each other and care about this thing so very loudly at us. And we really <laughs> appreciate you. <laughs> Absolutely. I've kind of been thinking a lot about this. And it's, I think, something that would benefit well from the kind of like iceberg um, mm-hmm. graph <laughs> where mm-hmm. the the tip of the ice of the Jane Eyre iceberg, I think for a lot of people who like come in and get that first kind of shock factor are those like, you know, surface level shocking things mm-hmm. where it's like you think it's just like some uh, romance classic novel. But the big twist is that the guy has a wife in an attic and you're like, whoa, that's alarming news for any time period. <laughs> Um, but so then I, with this initial fascination that captures you and there's this knowledge as an, an enjoyer of this thing when, cause at first I, th- the way I think about it with myself is I think I understood that there was a lot of really deep, important cultural and personal meaning to this novel, but I hadn't yet gone on the journey that we've just concluded to be able to like break that down and understand it and have the terminology and the background to know why this is so important apart from just being a romance that has a shocking twist in it. And it's something that I think wanting to understand that, cause I'm like, I had these feelings about it, but I couldn't yet articulate why. Yeah. And that kind of led into my, I think obsession fascination where like, for example, you know, describing it to my husband is something where he's very much likely to like, we'll joke about these things all the time. And I'm like, no, but like, it's not just that I like a story about a guy that I shouldn't like 
because that's bad and taboo or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's about like the human condition and these conflicts yeah. and life choices and ethics and morals and feminism and independence and nature and faith and religion and all of that is in there. Yeah. But like, that's not something you can like bring up at a party, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's something you have to spend two years on a podcast I mean, to I, really, truly understand. I do bring <laughs> it up at parties, but, <laughs> but people don't really love having me at parties. <laughs> I mean, you were really fun at New Year's this year. So. Yes, that's that is. I was the star. <laughs> I think everyone everyone can agree. Um, at the when I went this, we can cut this out later if you want to, or we can leave it for our listeners. But when I went back to Ivy and Nadim's after I was at your place, because um, that's where I was staying, I was sitting on the couch, and I apparently was so quiet that Nadim forgot I was there and got and really <laughs> freaked out when I said something like an hour. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing, William. <laughs> anyway. So I think as we're talking about this, one of the things that I reflected on um, that we had talked about reflecting on sort of where we started. And we just talked a little bit about specifically where I started. But I, one of the things that I was trying to think about is it was a very gradual shift for me for going from our first episode of, hey, I might hate this. Like this mm -hmm. might be bad and I don't like it mm -hmm. um, to something so special to me that like I cry thinking about no longer talking about it once a week. And I think some of so much of that shift has to do with the community that we were talking about, because this podcast went from our first year of the podcast, I feel like was us being like, Hey guys, we found this funny story and a bunch of people being like, Oh my God, you're going to love it. Um, and people being like, yeah, you watch this one. Like, you're not going to like that. But if you watch this one, you're going to love it. Like you guys should read the book. Cause it's crazy that you haven't read the book. And like, just all these people sort of taking us by the hand being like, okay, come, come enjoy Jane Eyre. Like, here's all the places you can find it. Here's all the ways you can explore it and enjoy it. And all the things you should be thinking about. And it sort of transformed from that into us spending the last year going, you guys, you know how you told us the story was great? We have found some stuff and it is so much better than even you knew. And I can't, <laughs> I cannot believe it. It's so crazy. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about any kind of community, but like an online community that is so welcoming and giving mm -hmm. um, to new members. Because I feel like I've had a lot of experience back in my uh, dark Tumblr days <laughs> when that was a place that felt incredibly like competitive and gatekeeping mm -hmm. and some innocent person could come along and be like, I just discovered this amazing book called Jane Eyre and make a post about it, hoping to connect with people. And someone would jump down their throat and be like, oh my God, you just found out about it. It's only been around for 200 years and I know everything about it. And also I'm spiritually connected to Rochester. So shut up. And it's just like, whoa, people need to calm down. And that yeah. was the absolute opposite of that. So to be so welcoming and to guide others and to share these resources mm -hmm. um, with like, hey, you know, we're not technically supposed to have this on YouTube, but it is there. So until it gets taken down, go watch it and enjoy. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Um, it's great. We could talk about just that, how much we love the community for an hour, because truly like that was that was the difference. Um, and I don't know how much it was. Tumblr as a platform or the internet in 2008. Um, mm. but, uh, it's been, it's been just an absolute joy 
which just for a second, my brain was like, that was five years ago. Sweet pea, that was 15 years ago, you dumb little brain. (laughs) (laughs) And my Tumblr time was brief, but it was more like 2012. And then I quickly got out of there because they were mean. (laughs) mean. Piper walks in with snacks and a little drink being like, hi, guys, what's going on here? And they go, and she goes, okay, I guess goodbye. Well, this was fun. Thanks for all the time. See you later. (laughs) Delete account. Um, it's very good. Um, <laughs> so I think the next section I have in my notes, uh, if there's nothing else we want to talk about with where we started is, um, what Jane Eyre means to us now, mm-hmm. which the, I mean, that's not a short answer, sort of yeah. a lot. It means a lot of things to me now. Yeah. This is going to be my main section of where my notes are live right here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I feel like this was kind of where I found the heart of the, uh, topic of today yeah um so i i've got things do you want to start lillian well so i i have one sort of big thing and then i have a couple of their like loose ideas but mm-hmm. my shortest clearest answer and some of this is i think a central message of jane Eyre, but a lot of this is just my own personal experience in the last two years um you guys know who the people who've been listening to this podcast the whole time have gotten some little life updates from me on this podcast and some of the ways my life has changed in the time that we've been recording this um but Piper obviously knows <laughs> all of these things as well but I think um the biggest experience that I've had really in the last 3 plus years has been really getting to know and understand myself in a much bigger way than I had um, really had the the time and the grace and the patience to do for myself. And I think I see that a lot in Jane Eyre is the value of truly knowing who you are and being true to that version of you to like the idea of becoming who you want to be. I have sort of reformatted in my own head as really discovering who you are and often returning to a version of yourself that um, you maybe changed because some kids on Tumblr were mean to you. Um, (laughs) And I think there's, there's one passage in particular that anybody listening to this podcast knows matters so much to me about that, which is the I care for myself passage, as I call it to myself a lot. But I'd love some thoughts if you have any, Piper, before I read what is, frankly, I pulled multiple paragraphs for this. Yay. Um, I completely agree. I think the, the knowing of oneself, the respecting of oneself is huge to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I feel like I have always held as a high value um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, personal self-worth and independence and things like that. And it makes me really happy to see that reflected in a main female character Mm -hmm. in a novel that is this influential, because I think there are so many works of fiction that are influenced by our society where women often have to kind of belittle themselves mm-hmm. um because there's so much expectation to say well you can't be like perfect or overachieving or all this stuff because those are negatives for a woman where it might be mm-hmm. perfect for a man and other things like that and there's always something to compare yourself to and 
all these things. And so to have a message that rings so clear and is reaffirmed so many times in this book of the main character being like, the world will not tell me who I can be. I know mm-hmm. who I am 100%. And no matter what's taken away from me, I will always have that. Yeah, That is inspirational and amazing. Yeah. And I think I was someone who my natural instinct is to take care of everybody else. My natural instinct is I don't even, it genuinely, when I say like, fake, like coming back to myself and like figuring myself out, like my natural instinct, I don't even remember that my needs should be on the list of things to do. Like I am so focused on everybody else. And I think there's a layer of the, the worst thing that I thought a person could be was selfish. And particularly for women, when we do things, when we meet our own needs, um, it is seen as selfish. And I think this does an incredible job. Only an insane person would read this book or someone so incredibly delusional that they want to read a bad message would read this and go, Jane's a pretty selfish person. If you think, if you think about it, Jane's pretty selfish, but she knows herself and she makes choices that are based off of what she needs for who she is. And I think this passage is so indicative of that. And there's a few moments where we can see exactly what Piper you brought up of usually the idea is defer to the man, give what the man needs. Um, and this, this passage in particular, it's not Rochester asking her to do that. It's a voice in her own head telling her to do that because society does such a good job of putting this voice in women's heads. And her response to that, I think is incredible. So I'm going to actually read the passage um, because I practiced (laughs) and Piper is going to cut out any moments where I stumble. So it's going to sound perfect to you guys. Yes. So this is towards the end of chapter 27, uh, which is the stay speech, as we always call it. And Rochester has finished his explanation. Jane has made it clear she's leaving anyway. And Rochester is, is telling her about the fate that she's resigned him to if she chooses to leave. And this is her response to that. Mr. Rochester, I no more assign this fate to you than I grasp at it for myself. We were born to strive and endure. You as well as I do so. You will forget me before I forget you. You make a liar of me with such language. You sully my honor. I declare I could not change. You tell me my fa- to my face, I shall change soon. And what a distortion in your judgment. What a perversion in your ideas is proven by your conduct. Is it better to drive a fellow creature to despair to, than to transgress a mere human law? No man shall be injured by, breach, by the breach. For you have neither relative nor acquaintance whom you need fear to offend by living with me. That was true. And while he spoke, my very consciousness and reason turned traitor against me and charged me with a crime in resisting him. They spoke almost as loud as feeling, and that clamored wildly. 
Oh, comply, it said. Think of his misery. Think of his danger. Look at his state when left alone. Remember his headlong nature. Consider the recklessness followed by despair. Soothe him. Save him. Love him. Tell him you love him and be with be his. Who in this world cares for you? And who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitably was the reply, I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I respect myself. I will keep the law given by God and sanctioned by men. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for moments like this, when the body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. Stringent are they, involatile are they. If at my individual convenience I may break them, what would their worth be? They have worth. So I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane. With my veins running fire, my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs, preconceived opinions, foregone determination are all I have to stand by at this hour. There I plant my foot. Very well read, Lillian. Bravo. Thank you. Oh, there's so much power in that scene. And- I know. It's like so well captured of this. I mean, that's kind of the heart of the story right mm-hmm. there, I think, is this his argument is it's very well phrased to say, mm-hmm. like, we love each other. Why should rules matter if no one is hurt by this? Mm-hmm. And with her response of this level of of insanely intelligent and emotional reflection that she's able to conjure up in this moment, which is something I was thinking about as you read that again to say, I wonder if in the reality of this scene happening in real time, would she actually have had that level of conviction to respond in such a way? I think a lot of the beauty of this is told in the reflection upon the scene Mm. of a wizened, experienced person who's gone through the heartbreak and has had the time to think about the moral justifications and the lasting impact to then write the scene that way. And I think there's incredible beauty to that. I think there's a layer of this too where I can hear, like, I see the paragraph of you make me a liar by such language and the, oh, comply, think of his misery. I think of those as being simultaneous. Mm -hmm. So he's saying these things and her heart is telling her, don't worry. Like he needs, he needs you. Mm -hmm. Rochester needs Jane. And to be needed is such a special thing in life to have somebody need you. And to love that person, to have that be somebody you love and respect, particularly for a woman when that's a man. There is something in society that our role is to be needed and to take care of men who then the men go do the great work. Mm -hmm. And for Jane to be able to, in that moment, respond to her own inner voice that to me is society telling women to put men first 
And for her to respond, putting herself first and her values first and what she thinks is right. And to have her say, given by God and sanctioned by man, the most important thing to her is God. And we talked in our nature episode a lot about the idea that God and nature and self are all very equivalent in this book. So she puts first and most importantly to her is self and her relationship with God through herself. And Mm -hmm. it's so incredible to have this story that I don't, I think is still, I was thinking about this a lot too. All of this is still deeply relevant today. The situation, the exact details of the situation of what would be a situation where Rochester is asking you to stay when your morals are telling you you shouldn't stay would probably be different. We've talked about a lot of different ways that could happen. But the idea of a voice in your head telling you to do what he needs because that's what he needs and how could you be so selfish as to leave him and have to be able to sit so firmly in your own values and your own convictions that you know what the right thing for you is, even if there's a voice in your head that's insane telling you to ignore yourself, that that's the most important thing. I think that is still an incredibly important and powerful message for anyone to hear, but particularly Mm -hmm. women. I agree. This makes me think of a point that I had kind of later on in my notes, but I'll bring it up partially here now that one of my kind of big takeaways from all of this is how much of a inspirational role model Jane is. Mm. Um, Kind of touched on that with like how she values her self-worth and independence and such, but also this strength and conviction um, to stick to her morals is something that is like so unbelievably hard to do. And of the two people, of the two characters that we love and care about in this scene, only one of them is doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Rochester is not. And I also think it's interesting to kind of turn the tables because listen to Rochester's plea to Jane saying, if you care for me at all, you'll take me into your arms and you won't let my heart break. But imagine from this moral perspective of and self-respect from Jane's side, couldn't she equally say, do this for me? Like, don't ask yeah. me to, to break what I believe in and to lessen myself just because it's what you want. Respect that this is important to me and let me go. But he's, I think, too overwhelmed by his emotions to kind of put himself into her shoes and see what that means to her. I think it's interesting... It's an interesting point, the idea that he, I think he is being true to himself. I somewhat disagree with the idea that he's, I don't think he's being, I think his values in that moment when he's in the West Indies um, (laughs) and feels that wind from England and he shifts his moral right and wrong from what the rules of society has always been to just being what, just going after what he wants for himself. Mm -hmm. And I think he is an embodiment of what happens when that has the ability to go a bit too far. Mm -hmm. And so he, he, in this moment, when this moral dilemma comes up, he's not 
there's not a voice in his head telling him to think of what Jane needs and think of the position he's putting Jane in. I think he's Mm -hmm. had that at different moments. I think that's how he justified the lie. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't think that men are given that voice as distinctly. I think they're told to take care of women, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they're told to care about women. They're told to provide for them, which is Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Either way, it's an incredibly powerful scene yeah. and it sticks with us and makes us cry and yeah. feel good and feel things that are hard to explain. <laughs> and I think that it's it's just indicative of the thing that I think is easy to miss when you aren't in love with Timothy Dalton and watch the 83 <laughs> and you don't know what you're doing um, and is so incredibly present throughout the story, which is Mm -hmm. valuing yourself. Um, and, 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 and valuing self-discovery and understanding. She starts doing that as a child with Helen and throughout Mm -hmm. the story, she continues to understand herself better. Yeah. I'd like Lillian, if we can, to pivot to one of my kind of big like points, discussion points. Um, when thinking about, you know, um, I, I first phrased this as what what I learned from Jane Eyre, but then I also kind of rethought about it and I'm like, okay, maybe I should say what I'm taking away from this experience. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't want to touch on a lot of the stuff that we've already discussed. So I was kind of trying to think about some other ways of looking at this. And one of the things that stood out to me about something that I feel is really beautiful and powerful about this story is that I think Jane Eyre as a novel shows us that every voice and every story and every life has enough passion and experience to be worthy of a novel and potentially even one that inspires readers for hundreds of years. And it's something where if you look at it very simply, I mean, Jane is an orphaned governess and now I'm starting to cry. (laughs) Jane is an orphaned governess in a small town that no one would ever have heard about or cared about. And yet through Charlotte's writing, she can show us how the smallest people can have the most, like can feel the most deeply, can see the world the most clearly. And when they speak, even if it's quiet and you are patient enough to listen, you can learn so much from them. And I think that is something that has been incredible to take away from that book, because this is basically just two people who found each other and fell in love. But I think that's one thing that is so powerful about it is that everyone has feelings and experiences and goes through challenges and has these journeys and we are all important and these stories matter. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Piper. <laughs> I think that's so true. And I think that's such an excellent point that like, especially I feel like something that, and again, like I want to talk about what this means to us Because something that, especially as you and I are both uh, rounding the corner to 30, um, Mm -hmm. and I think especially with today's day and age, there's a lot of parallels to the importance of hierarchy in Victorian times. Um, When we think about like social media and like the way that people present their lives and there's still so many expectations about what your life should be. And who you, what, how you should be behaving and how, and what makes somebody valuable, what makes Mm -hmm. someone's story worth telling, what makes someone's 
story worth hearing? Um, what makes someone's opinion important? And um, I should be married and probably have at least one kid, um, <laughs> as well as have a career ideally better than the one I have now, which is always true, regardless of what your career is like. Like there's all these outside external expectations of what makes a person valuable and what makes their story worth hearing and what makes them successful. And Jane, um, by the uh, time she is dying on the moors, objectively not successful. (laughs) She does not have house. She does not have kids. She does not have a college degree. What a crazy girl. Um, Like she just, there's, there's this list of things that you're supposed to have to be worth something. Um, and to be important enough to have a mm-hmm. book written about. And mm-hmm. she does not have those things. And yet, to your point, that story is still worth so very much. Well, it's like in that moment on the moors when she has physically nothing, it's when we have some of the most like deepest, most human thoughts mm-hmm. that we get to understand through her as she's experiencing this ultimate suffering. And so uh, one thing that I wanted to like kind of um, elaborate on with this idea is I think something that is so beautiful that I was drawn to right away from the story and I've only grown to appreciate it more is that it's also about two people who see that value in one another when everyone else does not. Um, I've made many references to this and Beauty and the Beast. That's one of the things that I love about mm-hmm. that story is it's about like seeing someone beyond their surface level, falling in love with them, helping them through their challenges and faults. Um, and I think it's something that we see again and again and again with all the interactions with Jane and Rochester is how they can see value and equality in one another. And this is where my passage is that I would like to read from that I think reflects that really well. Um, this, I always read this with like such a loving inflection. Mm. This is the scene when, um, it's not long after Jane has returned from visiting her family and Rochester has made wedding plans (laughs) that he only knows are for the both of them, but she is unaware of that. And so I think when I vision this scene and he's talking to her about these things, he's talking at her with the understanding that she knows that his future wife is her. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he says it with such like loving openness and vulnerability. So this is the scene that I would like to read. You must see the carriage, Jane, and tell me if you don't think it will suit Mrs. Rochester exactly. And won't she look like Queen Bodicea leaning back against those purple cushions? I wish, Jane, I were a trifle better adapted to match her externally. Tell me now, fairy as you are, can't you give me a charm or a filter or something that will sort to make me handsome? It would be past the power of magic, sir. And in thought, I added, a loving eye is all the charm needed. To such you are handsome enough, or rather, your sternness has a power beyond beauty. Mr. Rochester had sometimes read my unspoken thoughts with an acumen to me incomprehensible. In the present instance, he took no notice of my abrupt vocal response, but he smiled at me with a certain smile that he had of his own, and which he used but on rare occasions. He seemed to think it good for common purposes. It was the real sunshine of feeling. He shed it over me now. Pass, Janet, he said, making room for me to cross the stile. 
go up home and stay your weary little wandering feet at a friend's threshold. And there's so many things in that there of him showing Jane the beauty that he sees in her and her expressing the same to him. And -hmm. then it's also one of these first moments where Jane has found this home. And that's Mm -hmm. like something that we talked a lot about before. But I think there's something that's so important to her is a place of belonging where people care about her and want are happy to see her come back. And so when he's, you know, like, you know, go, go, go home, go to our house. Like, I am your friend. I am here. I will care for you. And it's just the most beautiful reunion. And I love it so much. It's very, very good. Sweet little dummy boy. This is, I always think (laughs) of this as Rochester's like, just dopey love phase where he's like so stupid in love with her that he's just like (laughs) obviously she knows the carriages for her (laughs) he just does not understand like he can't see outside of himself for that moment Mm -hmm. and he's like well math wise I love her so much there's no way she doesn't know that so (laughs) let me just act as if she does Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and we're all just having a fun little game of poke at Jane. <laughs> it's so sweet. Oh, that's most of what I have to say on that topic. Um, I have a few other ones that stood out to me, um, which we don't have to talk about as in depth. But um, one thing that I am definitely taking away from this as well, and this is something I'm almost like taking mental notes as a a writer in my spare time as one of my hobbies. This is something I want to try and um, emulate that Charlotte has captured so well is that there's a, a wonderful and subtle art of capturing the complexities of real life people um, mm-hmm. and putting those into your fictional characters, which um, it's something that, again, with like us turning 30 and, you know, feeling like looking back not only on a podcast, but on a big chunk of my like young adult life. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm entering my adult life phase. And one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is like an original novel that I started writing in 2012 that I want to go back to, but I want to kind of restart it and rework it because a lot of what I did before is very reflective of who teenage Piper was. Mm. And I want to write this now as like adult Piper as well with like more adult understandings. Mm -hmm. And so just from like a practical writing sense, a lot of like what I used to do is I was like, well, I have to make these characters so edgy and cool, (laughs) mysterious. That's that's really good. I knew this 2012 Piper and yes, um, listen, that's not a bad impression of her. No, no, I was, I was like, I'm like, edginess is awesome. And edginess is still awesome. But if you read a book that's purely written to be like, I want this person to be edgy and the audience is like, well, you're certainly edgy. Like, you're not really going to last for 200 years yeah. with a fandom that still connects about if we it had and has a podcast just, about it. If we had just um, edgy Rochester and we didn't have <laughs> like foolishly so stupid in love Rochester, mm-hmm. would the book be as good? I don't think so. No. No, it would not. (laughs) Um, So just keeping in mind that it is the the flaws of real life people and the challenges that they go through that makes them interesting. No one is perfect and they shouldn't be. No one is like absolutely flawed. Everyone has silver linings and positive traits. And it's being able to capture that balance um, when putting fictional characters on a page, which Charlotte has obviously done very well. And I hope to do the same um, in my future writing. 
<sighs> yeah, I think my my note on that, my like thought on that is something I think we've actually talked about before on the podcast, which is the idea that like um the more personal something is, like the more specific to you, the mm-hmm. more relatable and universal it can become because yeah. There are so many things at the heart of the human experience that are, in mm-hmm. fact, universal. And I yeah. think that that's – it's what the Brontes did so well in their just bonkers stories that they wrote that are <laughs> – um, it's it's something that I feel is important about a lot of parlor dramas that people are like, I don't really like period dramas. It's like so boring. And I'm like, okay, I guess go watch Fast and Furious for the 700th time. (laughs) Not that Fast and Furious doesn't have a message. Um, Yeah, it's family. (laughs) And that, and that is, and it's taken them 11 films to say cars go zoom fast, family, family. And, and sometimes you have to watch that again, just to see if that's still the same message you get. Mm -hmm. Um, but, Hashtag drink dos equis. <laughs> but I think that there is so much, it's the value in those quiet moments and in that humanity and the reflection of like, there's n- not to say that my life doesn't have parallels to Fast and Furious, but <laughs> when you read, when you're, that's very much like a different kind of escapism where mm-hmm. like we have rich interior lives and Jane Eyre values that rich interior life. And Mm -hmm. we have long conversations in living rooms and Jane Eyre values those long conversations in living rooms. And I think it's, it's a, it's a pinnacle to me of this kind of story. Like Mm -hmm. the most, obviously there are so many things about the Buckwild Bronte stories that make them val- the Buckwild parts for sure make them stand out. Mm-hmm. But I think it's moments like the quiet conversation moments that we both picked out that is what makes them important. If yeah. if you had lost the poetry and the reflections of self and all of these other things and just had a story about a 19 year old falling in love with her boss. And then it turns out he has a wife locked in the attic and there wasn't (laughs) a reflection of self with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would have the same value as fast and furious, which exactly obviously has so much value, but like, again, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not trying to say fast and furious, not valuable. I'm just arguing and you can take, you can quote me on this one, Jane Eyre, more valuable. <laughs> well, Lillian, it is our final episode. So I think we're allowed to like start fights now because okay. they can't find us after this. <laughs> That's true because after, as we've said before, after the podcast is over, we no longer exist. Yes. We will both ascend to the heavenly plane. <laughs> we forgot to tell become you one before. with the universe. God send us sent me a text. Weird that she te- <laughs> weird that she's a texter, but I get it. That's she invented it because she wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and she said, Hey, Charlotte and I are ready for you and Piper. Come up whenever you feel like it. And I asked Piper and she was like, Let's just go now. She sent you first. It was like just an emoji text that had like a billion eyeballs, and it said, "Yo, don't be afraid, bro." <laughs> and then it had like she like really went with like, "Hey, hey, it's your girl, God," and like mm-hmm. so many like halos. And I was like, I, "A billion prayer emojis." God, 
God <laughs> did it. I didn't need the like prayer emoji, prayer emoji, smiley face with halo, smiley face with halo, smiley face with halo. Like I got it. <laughs> but she she's a big emoji fan. I haven't showed her how to get gifts on her uh, keyboard yet. She was asking me about that. But once <laughs> once she can, it's going to be she's going to be a nightmare in group chats. That's all I'm saying. You- you might have to block God and that'll be really awkward. <laughs> Charlotte already has. That's why it wasn't a group chat with Charlotte. Amazing. Um, my last kind of like note on this section before we move on to the next part of this discussion is just simply saying to while I was like thinking about all of this um, and I'm also thinking about like some of the like community interactions that I've seen online because um, for the most part, this is the best, like, wonderful, like, welcoming opening community ever. There are definitely those who are very protective of this story, though. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is very true about an important text like this and about every important text that exists is that these stories, as much as we love them, they still, it's very important that they be critiqued and mm-hmm. analyzed and looked at in different contexts of time. Because, like, Jane Eyre is a wonderful, amazing story, but it definitely has its flaws. I don't and know. And there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely things that we need to talk about when yeah. we, you know, bring this into a modern audience. And that's something that the ladies on the Hot and Bothered podcast talked about a lot mm-hmm. of saying, like, I love this book, but is it necessarily appropriate to, like, give to my 14-year-old daughter? And the answer they came to is, like, yes, but talk with them about yeah. the changes. And I think... It's easy for some people to want to protect the things that you love, but just because you are criticizing something doesn't mean you're saying it's all inherently bad. It's just saying, like Rochester and his flaws, Mm -hmm. we need to recognize those things as well as talking about what is good and wonderful about it. Yeah. And I think it's something that is true in general about critique that we have gotten really bad at and society and i'm just trying to find a way to talk about this that doesn't become me going cancel culture sucks guys uh because that is not (laughs) what i'm saying um i think it's particularly true for um things that are historic texts like jane eyre like i think it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier for me to do this with something like jane eyre and go use 1847 i'm gonna give her a pass on not using fortune teller um, (laughs) because there's a lot of whoopsies that are easier to make there. But I Mm -hmm. think there is an idea that some people have that if you love something, a criticism is telling you not to love it. Mm -hmm. And that is not at all the case. No. Um, A criticism... Being able to criticize something and love it, holding two seemingly contradictory ideas at once in your head is a critical part of loving something. Because if we have to just shut this down, like we talked about this a lot in our Bertha episode. Um, Mm -hmm. If we have to just look at the morality of how Rochester treated Bertha and go, that's wrong, Therefore, I can't love this book because Charlotte wants us to love Rochester and therefore bad person, Mm -hmm. bye-bye. But I think, yeah, your point of criticism is a valuable part of this. It makes it more, it makes it better, not 
worse. Right. Because I think that's like, that's what we've gained so much of from spending two years of mm-hmm. like really deep diving and analyzing mm-hmm. the heck out of this story in every possible adaptation we could find um, is also being able to pick at it and say, okay, like, here's a flaw. Isn't it interesting that they thought this way back then? How would this change now? Um, and there's, that's one thing I think I also want to encourage for like diehard Jane Eyre fans. Cause I do believe this will continue to be adapted, mm-hmm. but as it adapts in a more and more modern culture, changes will be made. And I know a lot of people who are purists and they're like, well, that's not how it was in the book or like, this is not how it was in my favorite adaptation. Yeah. And change is good. Yeah. I think so. Be open to new ways of seeing the story and criticizing the story and analyzing the story, knowing that it all still comes from a place, at least, you know, for the most part, unless someone's like absolutely shitting on it, that's (laughs) necessary. But like, it comes from a place of like respect and understanding um, to bring this to a modern culture. And I think that's important. And I also think that um, sometimes like when we think about some of those adaptations who've made big changes in a way that was deeply positive, like the uh, 1949 TV movie when Charlton Heston lays on the stairs for a full minute, <laughs> I think is a great example of that. Yeah, he really just went for it. It was great. We respect that choice. <laughs> There's a lot of moments in Jane Eyre adaptations that I love and care about quite a bit. That will always be the first thing that I think of when I think of special Jane Eyre moments because it's oh so God. funny to me. It's so <laughs> and it's the funniest moment in any Jane Eyre movie. And I think it's so what Rochester would have done. He would have <laughs> laid amazing. on the stairs and just given up. <laughs> and his little five-year-old tantrum. And Miss Fairfax tries to pull him away and he's like, no! Just like, okay, Sir, fine, lay no. on the stairs. And the, the, I just like to imagine that he laid there, like he like brought him food and stuff. He stayed on those stairs until Bertha started burning the house down. And that was the only reason he got up. Yep. It's the only thing that could rouse him. <laughs> Not a promise of mac and cheese or one more episode of Paw Patrol. Extra cheerpoline time. (laughs) You can have listen, if you if you get up now, we can do trampoline and then ice cream. I want ice cream first. No, you can have ice cream and then go on the trampoline last time you puked. (laughs) Um fun story. I feel I might have shared this once before, but um one time in college, um I got insanely drunk at a friend's house uh because we made Long Island iced teas and I had like four of them. Um and I was after having thrown up, I was laying on their kitchen floor and my roommates wanted to go home, but they couldn't leave me here. And they were trying to get me into the car. And I was like, I can't. I don't want to move. I, I'm, I'm staying here. And they, at the time, my comfort show was Sophia the First, an oh animated God, princess yes. TV show on Disney. And my roommates got me in the car by being like, Piper, we can go watch Sophia the First. And I was like... I love Sophia the first. <laughs> and they're like, we know, let's go watch it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that got me home. <laughs> uh, just uh, just to even things out, I think it's important that I tell a story about one time when I got really drunk. I was at um, my friend's wedding, Ed and Clayton, um, and it was at this, like, fan- they had bought out this really fancy bar in the Fauché in Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, at this bar, they had these very weird couches that were frankly set up like beds. And um, there's still a picture of drunk Lillian 
curled up on one of those couches sleeping on it like it's a bed and uh, one of the grooms came up to me and said hey sweetie you gotta go home I'm getting you a lift and I said no I live here I live here now this is my apartment and he went no it's not (laughs) that is definitely what uh Charlton Heston's Rochester said Mm -hmm. about the stairs (laughs) I live here now. (laughs) And he didn't get up for Sophia the first. So that's actually his bad. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just to pivot back. (laughs) Uh, So the, the last section of my notes that I have that we haven't really touched on at all yet before we uh, wrap the show up is um, the kind of meaning of Jane Eyre and history and culture and everything, which is very similar to, what we touched on in last year's episode. So I don't want to go too much in depth on all these things, but I think as I was thinking about this um, in depth, really when I think about the themes of Jane Eyre, and obviously we have all these themes that we've talked about, but the conversation and the questions that Charlotte Bronte is posing about religion, society, family, people that you love and yourself and understanding yourself, all of these things, the commentary is exactly the same. The conversations, the questions that are being asked are still the same questions that we are asking today. And I think it's also deeply relevant. What matters more, what you believe is right or what religion and society is telling you is right. Should you prioritize the people, the family that you're born into, or the people that you choose to love and that choose to love you? Um, should you follow what you you believe in yourself, or should anyone else get to tell you what to do and who to be? And I think those are all still just deeply relevant to the conversation we're having today, because as we've said so many times, she tapped in so deeply to the importance of truths about humanity and being alive. It's something that I loved hearing about in some of the like emails and comments that we got throughout Mm -hmm. um, the span of this is um, hearing from some of our listeners who are older than us and who talked about how like they found this maybe first as like a teenager, maybe revisited again, like in their twenties or thirties and now are like reading it as like parents or just kind of at older stages of their lives and how those same questions, maybe you have different answers to them at different points in your life. And that this is an amazing like tool for reflection to kind of go back and be like, how would I answer this question now? Um, Because it's especially, I kind of wish I had first found this when I was like a swoony 15 year old, (laughs) because my answers would be so different than they are today. Um, And I think that's something else that's really exciting. I think swoony teen Lillian, if we're all honest with ourselves, would have taken this way too seriously. And it would have become too big of a part of her personality in a way that would maybe (laughs) make her unbearable. Um, So we should all be really grateful that I found it when I did. She'd become the Jane Eyre girl. Yeah. <laughs> I would like have a lot, like in co- my college dorm would have had a lot of posters, the I am no bird. Mm-hmm. I would have like oh, yeah. done that for Halloween costumes. 
You probably would have had a tattoo that said, I am no bird. Total squawk. <laughs> Who's, who says I'm still not going to? And the squawk will be on there. <laughs> squawk. <laughs> um, the last, do you have anything else on that, um, that topic? Um, no, only that I agree with you. Okay, good. That's the only note that anybody ever needs on anything, <laughs> if we're totally honest. Everything you say is correct. Never stop talking. I know you said like wonderful <laughs> things about like us working together and like do, doing a podcast together. You're here to agree with me, Piper. <laughs> um, I have some final notes on sort of what this podcast has meant to us as we wrap up here, but... I want to list a bunch of fun facts because it wouldn't be the end of Air Buds without some stats from Lillian. But Lillian, how many of these fun facts are going to bum us out? None and of how them. many fun facts? Oh, boy. <laughs> but can you throw in one sad one just for old time's sake? Because that used to be like totally your thing. I know. That you'd like come in every episode where I was all happy and gushy about uh-huh. romance. And you'd be like, yeah, but let's talk about child slavery it's and real slavery about- for adults of other races and yeah. the mistreatment of minors and all this other shit. And I'd be like, wow, Lillian, you really took the wind out of my sails. Just if anyway, you join us next week. If you want to if you want to be bummed out uh google gaza and then just sort of like start looking into that whole situation and you can do what i've been doing every day for the last 80 plus days which is crying um so i'm not gonna bump people out (laughs) yay (laughs) you could do that on your own (laughs) do that do that on your own time um if you want to know my thoughts on the uh the current genocide happening you guys go ahead and email me and i'll let you know but (laughs) On a much happier note, um, <laughs> my fun facts are all about sort of our podcast. Oh, cool. <laughs> They're very vain ones. So we this is our 96th episode that we are releasing, our last episode. We had 96 over two years. Um, 15 episodes were palate cleansers, leaving 81 that we considered Jane Eyre um, episodes, we consumed how many? Okay, so knowing 81 adaptations, or sorry, knowing 81 episodes about Jane Eyre mm-hmm. and knowing that we had a lot of different things, how many adaptations of Jane Eyre do you think we consumed? We had like seven book episodes and all the theme episodes and stuff. 60? Well, that's way more. It's 44, but still. 44! Yay! <laughs> so we, I, I've always guessed too high. Before I, I was like, we've read 100 things. And you're like, nope. <laughs> 20 and I'm like oh, <laughs> it feels like a hundred um so 44 adaptations we did seven episodes on the book itself we did seven episodes on themes of the book we did five rewatches five character studies four episodes on the Brontes we have consumed 11 movies seven books seven tv shows four radio adaptions three skits three musicals three plays, two episodes that we did on fan fiction, one web series, one opera, one TV episode, and a ballet. Amazing. Go us. I'm really and proud of us. And you guys listen to it all. <laughs> and, and if you Who's haven't... the real obsessed people? Us yeah. or the people who listen to us? Yeah. No, it, we, it's us. <laughs> We're the ones. We're the ones who have a problem. Um, forty-four is good. Forty-four is really good. Um, we can now have. I mean, it, we'll have to. I always say this. I'm like, this will be a great like two truths and a lie, or like fun fact at like work events to be like, I've consumed forty-four adaptations of Jane Eyre, and they're like, we're demoting you. You shouldn't be in charge of people. <laughs> 
I, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I I unfortunately can't stop myself from telling everyone on earth that I have a podcast about Jane Eyre. So it <laughs> wouldn't work at all because it would be the first fun fact out of my mouth. It would be like, fun fact, I have a podcast about Jane Eyre. Now two truths are alive. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, they're all truths. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's true about me. There's never been a lie. I'm bad at, I'm bad at the lies. Um, I'm good at lying when it's a game. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, we we watched uh, a bunch of we the the earliest one we wa- we consumed was that play from 1847. But in terms of like multiple a decade um, from 1930 to 20 to the 2020s, we have watched at least two every decade. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to guess what decade was the most popular decade for our adaptations? Um, I should know this because I feel like they also talked about it, like in the Bronte documentary from the BBC. Um, It's not whatever the BBC said. Okay. Um, is it before the fifties? No. Okay. Then I would say the, uh, seventies had the most. Um, seventies had the third most is tied for third most. The most was the 2010s. We had nine oh. different adaptations that we can include books? in the 2010s. It includes books and it includes okay. the web series mm-hmm. um, and a couple other things. So um, we had – I'm just going to run through them really fast because I did all the math, so I want everybody to know. Uh, two from the <laughs> 30s, two from the 40s, five from the 50s, three from the 60s, four from the 70s, two from the 80s, four from the 90s, four from the early 2000s. Nine from the 2010s and five from the 2020s. Cool. Way to go. Yeah. We did Live a great job. Kicking. Why don't we, real quick, just for fun, um, when do you think is the next time we will get a Jane Eyre movie and or miniseries or made for TV film? I feel like it's got, there's got to be something in the next like three years. I think I, so too. It's been so long. I know. 2011. It's a long time to wait. 2011 for... was the last time there was like a major mm-hmm. like studio produced one. Yeah. And, it's been 10 years more than that. So, And I do think that the reason there's such a gap here is because of how accessible all these different adaptations have become. So if mm-hmm. somebody wants to watch a Jane Eyre adaptation, they can go watch one. Mm-hmm. Um, where like the reason there were so many radio adaptations in the 40s was because you couldn't do that. So if you wanted yeah. to listen to the Jane Eyre radio adaptation, it was easier to just do live. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to get a new one in the next five years. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, yeah, three to five is where my brain's at. But I also think it's either going to be just like another like BBC with just like new mm-hmm. younger cast. Um, or I think it's going to be in vain of how like 2011 was kind of like an indie film, it's got to be like an art house movie kind of a thing. I feel like another possibility because it is sort of the unique thing, um, is somebody is going to do a really good modern adaptation. Like what if Jane Eyre today? Cool. Um, cause it's a solvable problem and I can't believe there hasn't been one other yeah, than totally. the 2013 one. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the last thing I have in my notes is just listed as what this podcast means to us. And I know we talked about the community a lot at the beginning, but I truly can't express how much this podcast only exists because of uh, you, the listeners, and obviously Mm -hmm. us, the hosts. (laughs) (laughs) We're not talking about us, Lillian. (laughs) 
Stop being uh, Jane and being selfish for a second. Yep. <laughs> um, classically selfish character, Jane Eyre. Um, classically selfish Jane. <laughs> um, but I, I, we get, there's so much, I can I actually considered like writing a list of names of people to thank, but then I started having a lot of anxiety about like, what if I forget someone who's really important to us? Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you message us regularly and we respond regularly, you know who you are. Um, and you are a big part of why doing this is so special to us. Um, this is Piper's done a lot of beautifully creative endeavors. You can find, uh, traces of her all along the internet. Uh, (laughs) this is the first time that I have done something like this where I'm putting myself out there in any way. And, um, I was a much, uh, I was, we'll just call, we'll just call a spade a spade. I was a coward as a teen. Um, and I always, <laughs> you're I, shy. I always wanted to do, no one in my life has called me shy before, but that is absolutely what it was. Um, yeah. just the like fear of what happens if I put something creative or per- personal or something that I was proud of creating out on the internet to see what people would say. And the way that you guys have responded has made me a lot braver and um there's a lot of things that i think i i have in my head that i want to do going forward um there's we'll make sure to share i know piper has other creative endeavors that she wants to do so we'll sh- be sure to share those on um all the feeds and all the social that we have so um stay subscribed to those uh keep following those um the all 2 years of the episodes all 96 of them are still going to be there for you to come back to and re-listen to on cloudy days when you want to be melodramatic and live in Jane Eyre for a minute. <laughs> I want to also just say, because we're doing wrap-ups, I suppose, that um, as small creators online, every little interaction like means the world. And that can seem sometimes like it's just like a um, automatic signature in an email Um, but it's not, it's whatever we say, like this, you know, made our day to like read this email or this comment or every time a new person kind of chimes in and says, Oh my God, like I just discovered you guys. And now I'm listening to everything. It's like, you care about what we're doing. This means that like, we're not wasting our time here, which even if it was just Lillian and I, it would never be a waste of time because we still had all of this personal reflection and bonding between the two of us and all this other stuff. But it's been, Wonderful to know that what we've had to say and what we've shared and expressed has connected with other people. So that has been wonderful. Um, again, just as a creative person, it means a lot to be able, like, this is kind of for you directly, Lillian, to talk meaningfully with someone about something that we both care about. Because yeah. I have found one, another thing I was kind of going to mention earlier on is that one thing that this book means a lot to me is that, um, I really see my personal kind of like faith journey, uh, reflected in this book a lot. I, I was raised, um, like going to church every Sunday. And though I don't like do that anymore, and I'm not exactly seeking out any kind of structured religion, there are certain like community-based things like meditative spiritual things um that I really enjoy from that part of my life Mm. and so getting to like talk about stuff that is meaningful and is even like topics that are hard to talk about with somebody regularly is really special because I feel like 
we kind of live in a culture right now, at least for people our age, where everything is fun and light and a mm-hmm. joke, and you can't really talk seriously without bumming people out. And so to have an avenue for that yeah. means so much for me. So that's been kind of almost like mini free therapy as well. Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> Don't it's send meant, me a bill. <laughs> it's meant a lot to me too. And it's too late. The bill's in the mail. No, I'm going to burn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for anybody listening to Piper's monologue about taking things seriously and then listening to us laugh immediately afterwards and being like, these girls don't take anything seriously, which is a comment we've gotten. We mostly, <laughs> when it comes to our giggles, we mostly get people being like, it's so much fun to laugh with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a couple of people who've been like, you're doing too much laughing about a serious topic. Stop. And my response to that has always been, and will always be now. <laughs> Dude, you have to laugh through things. Like it helps the uh, big emotions feel better. Yeah. It's the <laughs> laughter is like the most important thing. I know there's yeah. so many things that seem more important than that, but I promise you it's the reason I have lived through the things that I've lived through. <laughs> so thanks for laughing with us, guys. <laughs> um, thanks for genuinely I, – I told Piper – this is so – I'm having like trouble ending the episode because I told Piper I always – at the top of my notes so I don't lose track of where it is – I have what we're doing next week. And there's a part of me like muscle memory that goes scroll up to the top of your list. So you know what to tell people is coming next. And, um, we, as despite what I told you about God texting me, that was actually just a lie. Um, (laughs) we are still going to exist on this planet. The podcast is still going to be around. I actually have a bunch of like random posts that I made and never bothered to schedule that are going to go up on our social media over the next few months. Um, so there'll still be things there. Um, I'm still making YouTube videos um, mm-hmm. of different things. And Piper and I are both still creative people who are going to be creating different content and we'll make sure to let you guys know about them. Um, yeah. So you can find us in all those places um, at Airbuds on everything. Uh, we'll yeah. still check our email of airbuds at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is not goodbye. It's so long. Exactly. Um, and for just like my creative stuff and just, if you guys ever want to like chat about Jane Eyre things one-on-one too, um, my Instagram is just like my full name. Um, so it's at Piper Cleveland, although Cleveland is spelled C-L-E-A-V-E-L-A-N-D. Which is so because if, the city spelled it wrong. I say that all the yeah, time. Because exactly. I knew how to p- spell Piper's last name <laughs> before I knew how to spell the city of Cleveland. And I'm convinced <laughs> the city of Cleveland is wrong. Amazing. I actually just had Sam's uncle, now my uncle-in-law, tell me at a holiday thing that he saw in a historical, like document of some kind that apparently and he, he didn't just come up he's like i found a historical document he was like no there's this account i follow they do great research on things and they said apparently when the city of cleveland was filing to have their like you know official info um the name was too long so they cut out the a to like <laughs> to make it work so, so he says it all- he said it used to be that i have not fact checked to sam's uncle um but i want to take him at his, at his word <laughs> i think sam's uncle is a reliable source from the yeah. only hearing about this this one time that i know about him <laughs> um but yeah we love you guys so much um keep reading keep watching adaptations keep pestering us when new things come out send us a million yeah. dms we still plan on uh brushing off the layers and layers of dust off our mics 
and coming back after we go see the new movies. Or maybe all of our jokes about making our adaptation weren't jokes and somebody gives us multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. If Dude. this is someone listening who mm-hmm. has access to that kind of money, either through a studio or just being independently wealthy, that was never a joke. We could yeah. make such a good adaptation of Jane Eyre. Just we have ideas. Give us money. Oh, yes. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the podcast, you guys. Give us money. <laughs> if I was going to say there was one message I want you to take away after two years, it's not that Jane Eyre is a good book. It's not the community is important. It's not to think critically or um, value yourself. It's give me money. <laughs> Here, let me try and do a uh, inspirational send-off. Um, okay. Go forward, everyone, with the lessons we have learned. Um, do your best to be like a Jane. Um, stay true to yourself. See the good and the beauty in others. Stick to your morals. Uh, say F you to any Brocklehursts in your life. Yes. Cut out the toxic people. They do not deserve your time. And when you find someone who you truly love and who truly loves them, so long as they're not married, do whatever it takes to end up with your blind, headless, true love. <laughs> and with that, ladies, and honestly, probably non-binary people second. <laughs> Um, happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Goodbye. Happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Goodbye.